Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is Al Lunsford, digital editor at Lynx. Uh, happy and privileged to be joined today by the one and only James A. Frank, or Jim Frank, as his friends call him. Jim, how you doing? I'm good, Al. How are you? Nice to be here. I am great. I'm sitting here with you now in the uh, Lynx HQ conference room, which has turned into the Lynx 19th hole uh, as we celebrate. Uh, I don't know if you could call it celebrate, but, you know, recover a little bit from a few days of getting through some editing. How would you describe? Well, this is the our, sorry, this is our annual our annual golf real estate issue, um, which we produce based on one of the most interesting and uh, active parts of the golf industry right now, which is people are buying homes, first homes, second homes, fourth homes in these golf communities around the country, around the world. And we do an annual compendium uh, with articles, but also with a lot of listings of the best of these you know, from all the ones down in Florida, out west, Hawaii, and even around the world. And uh, yeah, I came in to close this issue, which we've been working on for the last few months, um, which has articles of about this whole sort of upscale golf lifestyle. I mean, we even have a wine piece in the upcoming issue, which will be out at the beginning of 2020. But it's also sort of a nice segue, I know, into what we're going to talk about, which is, of course, renovation, restoration, redo, whatever you want to, however you want to label it. Right. And you see that a lot uh, going through the editing process, all these different clubs, and, and many of them have decided to undergo a lot of restoration to their golf course property. Oh, Which, oh, yeah. It's, it's you know, we're also used to talking about the new courses. Um, and uh, when you have been in the business as long as I have, you remember in the 80s and 90s when, you know, we were adding tens and hundreds of courses each year. Well, that isn't happening now. I mean, we still have a couple of new ones every year. There's always going to be a Sand Valley and another course at Bandon or Stream Song or something. They're going to be notable courses, but it isn't as if every town, every community, every real estate property is adding a golf course these days. Instead, what's happening is a lot of these courses that were built in that heyday in the 80s and the 90s, you're now looking, you know, 25, 35 years old. These courses are a little tired, or as somebody put it, they've may have passed their sell-by date, and they need um, a little livening up. Uh, it's time to do a little polish, do a little do a little shining, do a little work under the hood, as it were, and for a lot of reasons, make them more interesting, more palatable, and and help sell. And it isn't only at golf communities, although there's a lot of that, but resorts, public courses, private clubs as well. Yeah. And you're seeing a lot of the now well-renowned architects of the current times are, are picking up these projects and uh, alongside the occasional new course that they'll do. They're also picking up these renovation projects and trying to, in some ways, modernize, but in other ways, revert courses back to the age when they were oh, first absolutely. constructed. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, the Tom Dokes, Gil Hans, Court Crenshaw, because they are so grounded in the more natural 
you know, the minimalist thing we talk about, whatever it is, when they're brought in and they're being brought in to work on, whether it's a Trent Jones course from the 60s or even something earlier from the golden age architects of the 20s and 30s, a lot of it is keeping that flavor or recapturing it. And so a lot of these courses are getting not only being not only getting sort of uh, fixed up under the hood under the grass where you know a lot of it it's new irrigation systems sprinkler heads cart paths things like that they're making significant changes so that courses get very very different looks they play differently strategy is changed all of which enlivens a course you know makes it a lot more fun for whether it's members or guests or you know who whomever it is who plays these courses but really is you know holding on to a lot of these values that in many cases have gotten a little lost about courses from that kind of go-go crazy couple of decades we had when just courses were going in the ground (laughs) almost without much thought to them. Yeah, and so we're going to get into the reasons, the various reasons why golf courses decide to to undergo these restorations and these redos, which yeah, there's a wide range of different reasons that could could be the reason or a um, you know, combine them all together ultimately. But we'll also talk about, uh, Jim, that your little renovation roundup that you've done in the past (laughs) six weeks or so, and and you've been all over the place checking out the new scene. I Um, have been on the road. It's it's, that's for, that's for sure. The last, (laughs) well, less than two months, there's been a, a number of very significant renovations reopening across the country from a bunch of different architects, courses from a bunch of different times, all of which I'll talk about, try to try to be brief about it, but some of them are fascinating for a lot of reasons, but they're all a little bit different. Yeah. You know, I, I've been to, there is the new or the redone, and I'm not sure I can call them new. Well, they are newly redone. Course out in Las Vegas at the Wynn Hotel Casino. Um, that was... One, so that's a resort, very high end, but that's sort of you know recapturing some of that sort of '60s thing when that course, which was originally the Desert Inn course, and then was redone in the '90s by Tom Fazio, nearly closed. The idea was that they were going to close it and build on it, and realized, hey, maybe it's still uh, still something that's going to help the cause of the casino have people coming. Tom and his son. Logan, who's more and more involved in the business now, came in and they changed the routing on, I think, eight holes. And it's in a very small piece of property, as you might imagine, because it's right on the Vegas Strip. Yeah. And they managed to... They moved some dirt. They added some more elevation. As I said, they moved a couple of holes around. They did an amazing job. As you might expect, it's in fantastic condition. You're kind of hemmed in there, but it feels a lot longer than it actually is because of the way that they use the land. And then, of course, they ended with a Vegas, you know, sparkler, ends on a about a 200-yard par 3 over water right up against the hotel and a 50-foot-tall waterfall. So very sort of Vegas. Not my favorite hole on the course necessarily, but it's one you're not going to forget. And, uh, you know, so there's sort of one... 
one reason that places renovate, I mean, that was partly to save it, partly to save a little land, but also to take something that they knew was a value and, you know, add some value and make sure people who maybe hadn't been out there in a long time wanted to come back and play it again, which a lot of resort renovations are about, you know, they need a reason to get someone to come back and play that course again. So there's that. I was, I also saw two Jack Nicholas renovations of his courses, both courses from a significant amount of time ago um, out in the Arizona desert at Desert Mountain, the first of the six, I mean, six signature courses at Desert Mountain, which is a private community. But the first course, Renegade, which was built in originally in 1987. So that was that prime sort of, you know, wild jack with humps and mounds and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, But that was a fascinating idea where they actually built. And according to Jack, the idea was uh, was of Lyle Anderson, who was the original Desert Mountain builder. And he was influenced by the big greens that he saw at St. Andrews and said, you know, can we do this sort of double green idea to really create almost two different ways of playing a hole? And that's what they did then. And they've kept the idea. So now there are 11 holes, have two greens on each hole. Okay. Six of the holes have a green that's so big there are there is room for two very different ways to play it. And one hole has three greens, in fact, where they play two on any given day. And in each case, one of the greens is, it's usually closer, but it's easier to access. Uh, the harder one would be a little further away, but it also tends to be elevated, more surrounded by hazards, just harder to get to. Well, when they originally built it, they were too hard to get to. And so even with, I don't remember, it's five or six choices, um, which meant you had infinite combinations and permutations of way to play this course, people were choosing the easier way and it was causing, you know, maintenance issues, but they were only seeing the course in sort of one way. So, sure. uh, so Jack's people went in, um, softened somewhat, it's still Jack, um, the harder ones, and it's much already, the course has only been open a couple of months, it's already much more balanced how people play it. And then because it's a private community where the pros know their members and how they play, they can say, oh, you know, hey, Mr. Jones, you know, the way you play, you know, we suggest you play from T3 to the gold flag. That's sort of your best kind of average way of doing it. But with all those combinations, I mean, you can play a different course every day of the week, every day of the month, just there. So that was one of the jack Reduce And one other thing about that one, because it was 87, when he did build a lot of with those mounds along those, you know, those, those kind of chocolate drop mounds that lined every fairway. So all those were pretty much gone. Again, the more modern influence, I mean, even Jack had to admit that things have changed. And those are mostly gone, uh, which widened the widen the fairways significantly, which is also something you see a lot of, you know, making fairways wider, more room, trying to get more people to play, make them, I hate to word, use the word easier, but more welcoming. So all this was part of this, how do you bring back a course? How do you give it a new life? Yeah. And that 
you brought up a couple of the different reasons within talking about those two courses and uh, certainly a more modern feel to the Renegade now that it's more playable to everyone that plays it, but can still also present that challenge to the better players, which which it really does. Let me tell you from not even way back, although they also added (laughs) they they also whenever they do this, they add tees. So the other course of Jack's that I saw, which is Great Waters at Reynolds Lake Oconee down in Georgia, where, again, so this was a 92 course course design originally. That was more widening fairways, taking out trees, or not so much taking out trees, some of that, but cutting trees back. Because it's right on a lake, um, if you haven't ever been down to down to Reynolds Lake Oconee, which is halfway between Augusta and Atlanta. It's both a community and a resort, so anyone can play this course. Second largest lake in Georgia. Second largest lake in Georgia. Yeah. And this course, Great Waters, is the entire back nine just about is right on the lake. Well, they open it up so there are more views of the lake, and it's a beautiful spot. They also moved a couple of greens closer to the lake. Doesn't so much make it harder, just, again, changing the aspect. It is mostly a community course. These people have been playing it for almost 30 years. Change it up a little bit. Widen fairways, you know, do things. But they also added, because this course in particular uh, occasionally hosts particularly really good junior players. There's a big junior event there. They added a tee. I mean, that is so far back. People I know who live down there didn't know there was room. I mean, it plays to 7,800 yards or something. And these juniors are hitting, you know, driver seven iron into some of the holes, even from back there. So you can't do much about the distance thing. Yeah. Although that's also one of the reasons that they are coming in and redoing courses. Equipment has changed. Players, particularly the good players, are so much longer, you know, and then there's a the whole argument. They don't have to curve shots. You know, the balls make it easier. The clubs make it easier. One of Jack's things, certainly. But and and he talked about it when he opened the course again. You know, I've got to make these courses harder for the good player. So that's another aspect, you mm-hmm. know, that goes into it. And of course, as in almost all of these redoing irrigation, you know, fixing cart paths, cutting back trees, a lot of it, you know, hazards get fixed. They put in new liners in the bunkers. Uh, there's all that kinds of technology, new liners in lakes, new turf. You know, there's so many new strains of grass. A lot, they, they almost pro forma now regrass all of the greens with whatever is the newest. Interestingly, to go back to Renegade in the desert, now it's partly because that community, Desert Mountain, has six courses, actually seven with a short course they just opened there. There's so much variety there. They have, some of their courses have bent grass greens. Some of their courses have Bermuda greens and they have other ones. So you get, so it extends their season for their members and does things that changes the variety of playing experiences. So all these are reasons that they, you know, that they sort of redo, redo courses now. It speaks to one of the points that you made to me before we started talking, or a couple of the points too, also, (laughs) uh, the having all the brand new technology and, and the newest grasses and the newest what have you 
gives a more marketable appearance. The latest and greatest, obviously, is, and then the membership uh, has a sense of pride about that kind of thing, and oh, yeah. tells their friends, and hopefully stirs hey, it's up all some marketing, more baby. You yeah. know, whether you're a private community, a resort, a private club, no matter what, you want people, you want a waiting list, you want people filling your rooms, you want them lined, you know, you want that T sheet filled up. And so that's why courses all look lush. You know, they aren't doing brown is the new green on these courses that much. You know, I mean, every one of these, they are spectacular looking. Yeah. Partly that is the new grass. Partly, you know, they're so much more efficient with with how they water, irrigation systems. That's another thing they add. All of these computerized systems for the for the for the watering and things like that. You know, they have sensors in the ground. You know, that whole aspect aspect of it, which most most players won't even see. You know, they, they don't know what's happening under their feet. You mm-hmm. know, they see what's on there. That's always a big reason. You know, 25, 35 years on, pipes break, wear away. Sprinkler heads, you know, they've been stepped on and smashed by angry golfers walking by after they miss a shot. All those things. You know, it's just like the plumbing in your house. has to be fixed every once in a while. Sure. The final of the courses on your little roundup trip, or I don't know if it was the final one you visited, but it's the final one um, you had on your list was the plantation course, which recently at Sea Island, which recently hosted the RSM Classic and Davis Love and his brother got in there and got their hands on a course they'd been looking at for their entire lives. Their entire lives. That's a wonderful story. If anyone doesn't realize how good an architect Davis Love and his group are, they're really missing something. I mean, I haven't played all of his courses. I played a couple, the one in Myrtle Beach at the Barefoot Resort. I mean, this is a guy who, Davis is kind of a quiet, unassuming guy in the Golf Hall of Fame. One of 21 tour victories, the 97 PGA, played on a bunch of Ryder Cup teams. Tar Heel. Tar Heel. That speaks to me. Speaks to you. There you go. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Captain of the victorious 2016 Ryder Cup. Interestingly, to go back to that special real estate issue that's about to come out, PPG, we have a profile of Davis in there, sort of coincident to his architecture, but he has lived on St. Simon's Island, where Sea Island is, since he was... Oh, in single digits age, as well as handicap, his father, Davis Jr., who was one of the great teachers in his day, had sort of carte blanche back in the, I think it was in the 70s or 80s to open an instructional school anywhere he wanted. And he chose St. Simon's Island. Now Now it's part of Sea Island. And Davis has lived there ever since, lives there still. He is the mayor of Sea Island, old, um, and there's now about 15, 20 other tour players. They all call him Uncle Davis because he knows everything. He owns restaurants on the island. Mayor's not the literal, he's not no, no, in no, office. No, no, he is not literally the mayor, although I'm sure if he went into the mayor's office and wanted to do something, I mean, he's been amazing for Wind the community. I mean, he's involved. Also, you know, he's the host of the RSM Classic that, yep. that, that you mentioned. He's raised, I think it's $13 million over the years for local, very local charities. So he's a, you know, he's a big dog on that island. Right. And having, as I said, grown up there with his brother, Mark, who for a while also caddied for him, you may recall, including in 
a couple of the Ryder Cups I know. Um, well, he's now his partner in the architecture firm. And and he tells a story. Davis tells a story of Mark in particular used to look out the window and just stare at the plantation course. And as kids, they say, you know, if we could redo this course, what what would we do? Well, having done some work on Seaside, which is the other course at Sea Island where the RSM is played, they were given the opportunity about a year and a half, two years ago to really redo Plantation, which is a fascinating course in and of itself. It's 18 holes now. It was built as individual nines. And the first nine was built by Walter Travis in the mid to late 20s. And then I think it was Dick Wilson built another nine in the 60s. So right there you have, you know, 35, 40 year separation. Reese Jones came in, I think, in the late 90s, put the two nines together into an 18. But... I think in trying to trying to sort of mesh them into one course, you know, kind of took in some ways the characteristics of these two architects out or down or, you know, really kind of minimize them in trying to make one course. Well, in comes Davis, who is a classicist and brought back the whole sort of golden age, much more Travis. But if anything, the real influence there is Seth Rayner, you know, the very famous um, architect who worked for years with um, with uh, Charles Blair McDonald with those template holes from Scotland, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so two things that Davis did that are really obvious. A lot of the greens are very big and very geometric, almost squared, almost squares, hard edge corners. And um, one has a great big, a great big thumbprint in the front of it. Yeah. That kind of thing, you know, like at Yale and other places. Um, And then most of the bunkers, rather than flashing up the side of the green, they're all flat and very square. A lot of them much smaller than they were, easier to get out of. But it's a look that you, you know, You just don't see it very much. So it's this bringing back, and again, it was more the Travis era, and they they kept a lot of the Travis things, or actually added some. One of the things that Travis used to do a lot of were those chocolate drop mounds. Now you're sort of going back to what I said about Jack having taken those mounds out Mm -hmm. from his courses. They put some back here in Plantation, particularly on 18, where they kind of line the right side. It's a long, I don't know if it's a long four or five, wrapping around water. And there's water on the left. But if you go too far right, there are these, not only are there these mounds, but they've got this funky grass. And I don't remember what it is. I mean, it's like long, snarly hair. So you don't want to be there. But, yeah. You know, little tip of the cap. Though. Oh, absolutely. I, but but also, this is what they did in an era when, you know, they needed when they weren't moving as much earth. So how did you make a course harder in the twenties? Well, you added, you know, some things that now we think are oddball. Well. It is a spectacular golf course, a lot of fun. Ignore what the pros did to it a couple of weeks ago at the RSM. They're just so long and able to avoid the stuff that we get. (laughs) I certainly got when I was there. But it is such a wonderful experience to see this course brought back or maybe not even brought back, I guess, you know, redone as this classical, fun, you know, it's a very easy walk. It's pretty flat. There's a fair amount of water. A lot of these, there are 80 bunkers. It, it doesn't so much feel it because there are places where, 
they're primarily, you know, the second half of the hole. They're around the green because that's where they could put in challenge. It's not a hard driving course, but you've got to get it onto those greens. And then once you do, they're big. They slope. They've got these interesting shapes. There is one that one that actually kind of boomerangs around water. I mean, it's literally an L, mm-hmm. like a boomerang. They did all this stuff that, you know, you really don't see anybody, any of the Fazios or the Nicholases have ever done. But you go back and research, you know, Rayner and Travis and Tillinghast and, you know, that era, they did a lot of this stuff. And it is charming. It's challenging, very attractive, a lot of fun. And one more example of what a renovation can do is sort of resurrect this era that I personally think we should see a lot more of. Yeah. Which that brings me back to, well, for me, it reminds me a lot of Yeamans Hall and the squared off greens Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Well, that's a Rainer course. One, yeah. one of the few most people have seen only because it was on the, you know, on the summer at the Women's Open. Mm-hmm. Right? Women's Open. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, Country Club of Charleston. Country Club of Charleston. Yeah. Excuse me, you're right. Also a rainer. Yeah, there you go. Right. Near Yamas Hall. Well, not so near Yamas Hall, but yeah, but that same sort of, you know, those big, interesting, slightly raised, but very geometric shaped greens that um, you just don't see now. But maybe, you know, people are topping it. You know, you'll see a Tom Doak do some things kind of like that, mm-hmm. Corin Crenshaw, because they are, you know, so enamored of that age and finding ways to pique the interest, challenge, and really confuse golfers. I mean, you've got a three-club distance into some of those greens. We, you know, it, they're that big. Mm-hmm. So think about the old course at St. Andrews. Now, they might not be shaped quite as geometrically, but what do you do with a big green on flat land? Well, if you're clever, as a lot of these guys were, you can make them fascinating to play. Yeah. I'm sure our colleague George loves that idea, too, well, just based he, uh, on this. <laughs> yes, he does, which is why he plays at Yeamans Hall. And St. Andrews. And, all the and St. Andrews. More rounds since uh, he's ever right. played in his life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and to wrap this up, you, you brought up a really fascinating story to me before we uh, when we were talking about what we were going to say and involving the man who started Paramount Pictures and oh, his Oh, the Adolf Zucor story. Yeah, so... Tell us about that and, and how that has influenced your knowledge of golf course architecture. <laughs> I'll try I'll try to keep it brief, but it's but it's hard. I guarantee most most people out there have not heard the name Adolf Zukor, Z-U-K-O-R. Uh, he was the man who, uh, back in the teens or twenties, founded what became Paramount Pictures. Um, was a Russian, I believe, immigrant came to the U.S. around the turn of the century, um, and found himself in the movie business before there was a movie business. Wanted to do it, he got into it and made a lot of money. And in those days, the movie business was in the East. Uh, He was located in New York City. He was working hard, making a lot of money, hobnobbing with movie and theater stars. Um, He also was an angel investor in Broadway. And to have a place to wind down, bought a big estate, big piece of land on the north of New York City, but on the western side of the Hudson River, what is now 
Rockland County, New York. Now it's, you know, half hour, 40 minute drive from the city. I don't know how long it took then by train mostly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but he said um, someone convinced him he what, what he really needed there was a golf course. Now, the first interesting part of this story is so he wound up hiring A.W. Tillinghast to build him a golf course. How he met Tillinghast, I think, is the fascinating part of this story. They were introduced by Thomas Alva Edison. Edison was so important in the movie industry then because he owned all of the patents on projectors, light bulbs, projectors, not film, I don't think, but he was intrinsic to the movie industry. You couldn't make a movie without without him. They got to be friends, Zucor and Edison. Zucor lived in the northern New York area. Edison lived, obviously, in New Jersey, near what is now Edison. And, you know, he was the wizard of what was a Menlo Park, which is in sort of north central Jersey. Edison was friendly with Tillinghast, which I found amazing. They were both members of the same club, Essex County Country Club, I believe. Edison, we don't know played golf, but the Edisons and the Tillinghast played bridge together. They were very friendly. Edison introduced Zucor to Tillinghast. Zucor hires Tillinghast, who builds this golf course in this sort of rolling, hilly area on the top of the Palisades. I think it might have been nine holes originally. It was 18 eventually. And he kept it. It was a private course, a Tillinghast design, kind of funky. It like goes across a road, goes up a lot of hills, up and down. And he entertained Hollywood stars, theater stars, you know, Mae West, Charlie Chaplin, people like that. Great stories about that. In the Depression, he has to sell it. He sells the land. It becomes a private club up there, the name of which now escapes me, Delwood. Delwood Country Club. That's what it was, which was a private club uh, until about, well, it still is a private club. The membership, and it was membership owned, but they sold it or they did something where they brought in a real estate company to run it, manage it, and fix it up. One of the things that this company did is they hired Jim Urbina, who is um, unfortunately, I think, not a well-enough known architect, worked for many years with Tom Doak. Jim is a great guy, very creative, very funny. He came in to re-Tillinghast this golf course, spent a lot, and that's where we met. I am from that area, and I followed Jim around a couple times as he was kind of looking at the course. He was working on it. So the story that I told, and it's one that I tell a lot about, what is golf course architecture really all about? In a nutshell. In in a nutshell, right. Mm -hmm. This is just, this kind of explains it to me. So there's a medium length par four on the back nine. I think it's number 11 or 12, or maybe it's 14. Slight dogleg, relatively flat. And when Tillinghast originally routed that hole, and it's routed the same way as it was always, he put a bunker on the inside of the dogleg, which was on the right side. The idea being, because you want to hit it as close as close to the bunker as possible, you are being, you know, that's the skill there. How close can you get it, because that's the best angle for the second shot, yep. without going in into the bunker? That's how Tillinghast did it back in the 20s or 30s. Robert Trent Jones Sr., was one of the many people that worked on this golf course in the intervening years. He redesigned it. He moved the bunker to the outside of the dogleg. Now it's, you can hit anywhere, but you can't blast it into this bunker. So you could argue, 
it changes the strategy. I think it takes away the strategy because now it's not about trying to get as close to the bunker as possible. It's trying to get as far away from the bunker Avoid as possible. Avoid it at all costs. Avoid at all costs. Yeah. When Urbina came in, then this is six, seven, eight years ago, one of the first things he did, he moved that bunker back into the dogleg. The point being, and I agree with him 100% having seen it both ways, the strategy is how close can you get? You know, it's not about, it's about avoiding it, but it's about are you skilled enough to get it as close as possible without going into the bunker? If you ask me, that is golf course architecture in a nutshell. Yeah. As you said. And it's fascinating when you look at a lot of these courses, how much these architects who are so respectful of these guys from the 20s and 30s who understood strategy in an era when, you know, when we weren't playing with steel shafts and we weren't playing with, you know, super high compression or, you know, five five cover golf balls and, uh, you know, we weren't. We weren't working out. Plus, they were wearing tweed suits and, you know, all and walking. Hard to get around in those things, I yeah, would imagine. I don't Not know how flexible. they did it. And, you know, you know, well, partly they weren't hitting at 300 yards. but Or trying to. Or trying to, right. They were, it was about placement. It was how close can you get to make your next shot not only shorter, but the right angle. And that's... I'm sorry. I think for 95% of us, that's much more the way we should be playing and we should be thinking. And as I said, that like sums up where architecture was, has gone, and let's hope maybe is going back to. Yeah. Well, have we covered, you think, most of the reasons as to why a, a course would be restored or renovated, redone, all those words? Can you think of anything else we haven't covered? There is just one more, and it, and, and, and it actually gets touched on, on in almost all of these others. A lot of it is just aesthetics. You know, we're used to a different, you know, what is attractive now? And I don't just mean lush and green, mm-hmm. you know, um, like in the case at Reynolds. Show more of the lake. Playing in sight of water, as George has said, um, I heard him on this podcast, do it, you know, do it recently. It just enhances the experience of playing. A lot of it is, a lot of it is seeing the trouble off the tee or in the fairway. You know, we're not as big on blind and hidden as they were. Again, things they had to do to make a course harder. That's not in favor now. Mm-hmm. Much, so so you'll often see Reynolds is another case. I think they did it at Renegade a little bit too. They drop fairways that used to hide some of the some of the views of greens. I mean, how often have you have you been in a fairway in the middle of a fairway? You've hit a good shot and you can't see the green. You might just see you know the top of the flag. Well, sometimes that's okay. You yeah. don't want it over and over and over again. Right. So that sort of aesthetics and. You know, just being able to see more of the course, more of the surroundings. I mean, hey, one of the reasons we're out there is I don't know of any place you play golf that isn't pretty. Why not enjoy it? You know, see it. So opening up the views, making us enjoy it, even if we're playing lousy, you know, you might as well have some nice scenery in view. Put a 50 foot waterfall in there, you know. (laughs) I don't think Tillinghast would have done that. All right. Cool. Well, thank you for sitting down and and having the conversation with me. And I thought it was an interesting one. Hope the listeners did too. Uh, My pleasure. Hope we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Jim. Take care.